Well, good morning. Welcome to ABC. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, man, last Sunday, uh, we had a whole bunch of students returning from Hume Lake, and we had our annual Church at the Beach Sunday out at Cayucas. Um, I, I'm sure many of you made it out there to participate in that with us. It was a fantastic day, beautiful morning. Um, but here's the, the most amazing thing, and this is why it's kind of a climactic moment for us in our ministry year is uh, we spend all year just investing in students and, and really discipling them, teaching them about Jesus. And when we take them to Hume Lake, a lot of them have a year's worth of context now going into this moment where they're presented with a really clear gospel and uh, an opportunity to make a decision to follow Jesus. And so a number of students did that at Hume Lake, um, and it was another fruitful year. And when those students come back, we give them the opportunity um, to take the step of baptism. And so we had the privilege last Sunday of baptizing 45 students. Um, and in addition to that, um, there were three young adult uh, young women that got baptized and then two other adults that were baptized. And so a total of 50 people um, that we baptized in, in the beach, uh, in the water at Cayucas. And it was such um, a, a wonderful moment to see God's hand at work over our church and the fruitful ministry that he's continuing to do to bring life change and transformation in our community. So take a look at some of the photos from last week if you didn't make it out there.
So we're honored uh, just to continue on in our ministry year here with a few more events um, heading up. Something that you can just be in prayer for is this coming week, um, we have what we call an Evangel Gathering Conference on campus where we have um, different ministries from all over the country represented that are doing urban ministry to some of the least reached people in our country, um, particularly in prison ministry. And so um, there's uh, s- several conference um, sessions throughout the week um, where we're talking about how to continue to be fruitful in those areas. And um, so pray over that. We have people visiting from all over the country um, are going to be here staying in some homes um, around our community and meeting every every day this coming week. And so if you wouldn't mind just being in prayer for that. Um, and then as we head into um, the rest of summer, there's a few family events that you might want to um, take note of. Um, those are on the website. If you want to go to abcchurch.org slash kids, um, they're doing a couple like a picnic day and then they're going to do um, a beach day as well. So um, as we kind of wind up our formal events, we're done with camp and VBS and human and all these things. Um, now we have just some informal gatherings where you can get together and enjoy some other families. Um, we're, we're really blessed by the community God's given us here at ABC. So um, lean into these opportunities. And, uh, and then shortly, um, we'll be right back up into the fall schedule. I want to say the word school too fast, um, but we're, we're going to head there pretty quick. Um, we are in Matthew chapter 18 this morning, and it's one of those passages that really speaks profoundly to the health of relationships. Um, it, it gives some very clear steps um, to fruitful conflict resolution, spiritual protection in confrontation. Um, these short verses really open a door of clarity and honesty in relationships that they give us a roadmap for how to deal with challenging um, relationships and challenging conversations. And if we were just to simply do what it said, um, I believe we could probably spare ourselves years of pain and possibly thousands of dollars of therapy. But the problem is that we've actually rewritten this passage, or at least culturally, the way that we live it out, um, we're, we're rewriting it. Because to do what the Bible says in this instance is, is rather hard to do. So here's the way that we've rewritten it. I want to read for you um, the heretical Bible version of 2023, um, the, the way that we have rewritten Matthew chapter 18. Listen to this, rewrite. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and vent to a trusted friend between you and them alone. If you find no consolation, find another friend to share it with. Texting is a great way to facilitate this as emotions are left up to interpretation. Remind them that you share this in confidence, not as gossip or slander, but simply as a prayer request. 
If this person does not change their behavior or apologize after you've shared the offense with every mutual friend you could think of, post it on the internet. Use hypothetical terms, that's helpful. If you don't wanna use the person's name, feel free to use descriptors that will leave very little room for question. Things like, the local contractor who recently did work on my house, or the dentist I used to have on Morrow Road. If public shame still does not bring healing to your broken relationship, consult the leadership of your church. Come to the pastor and share with them using as many spiritual terms as possible. Say that you want things like reconciliation and relational healing. You wanna protect the flock from others being victimized. When you've shared every detail confidentially, ask the pastor if he would be willing to address your concerns with this person. But make sure he understands you wish to stay anonymous. Ask the pastor to pray for your relationship. Finally, treat yourself to vacation. Relationships are hard and they can be exhausting. Self-care is important. Hope for the best and try to avoid seeing this person when you return. Now, obviously, that's not what the Bible says, and you're chuckling because you know that this is altogether too true of how things actually go when it relates to conflict management in relationships. This is the default that we all slip into is we consult others, we vent to others, we talk to others, we, we even use tools like social media to help people know and understand how they've hurt or offended, but we avoid at all costs direct confrontation with those who have offended us. And all joking aside, this is quite opposite the way that scripture would have us handle these kinds of scenarios. So I invite you to join me this morning in looking at Matthew chapter 18 for a clear direction, clear instruction on how to pursue biblical, healthy relationships. Let me pray before I read. Father, would you open our eyes to see a path forward that is healthy, that's productive, that's God-honoring and biblically faithful as we pursue difficult conversations, manage challenging conflict, and deal with broken relationships. Lord, help us to take an appropriate approach in pursuing healing and reconciliation. God, use your word to instruct us this morning. Amen. So in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, it says, If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. 
For there are two or three gathered in my name, there am I among them. So Jesus has given us some very practical steps, some keys to biblical healthy relationships, but there's really a a dressing, kind of a wrapping. If you were to go through this list and process through it, you can see that there's there's a goal in mind here. And the goal is reconciliation. The goal is repentance. But if you were to back up in chapter 18 and start at the beginning of the chapter and kind of work your way through the way that Jesus is teaching about this, he's wrapping this entire conversation in humility. He first starts by addressing his disciples who are arguing about who is the greatest among them. And then he says, unless you become like a child, then you won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. You can't be his disciple unless you humble yourself like a child. And then in verse 10, he says, see that you don't look down on others, that you would take a posture of humility. Then in, in verse 21, when he starts to address Peter on the issue of forgiveness, again, a posture of humility as he shares this parable. We'll look at it in a couple weeks. This parable of a servant who was unwilling to forgive when his debts had been forgiven. And so Jesus has really given us this, this really clear box to put this conversation in. And the box is labeled humility. Be humble. It's a key to biblical healthy relationship. It, it means believing things like, I am not better than the one who offends me. It means believing and saying things like, I am not incapable of offending others. I am not first a victim, but first an offender. See, we're all in the same boat. The playing field is level here when we're talking about difficulty in relationship. And so we start from a posture and a backdrop of humility. And then we look at these prescribed steps that Jesus lays out for confronting confronting offense. So start with me in verse 15 and let's look at these steps. First, he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. This is such an important first step. It's the one-on-one confrontation. Person to person, man to man, woman to woman, that we would go have this face-to-face conversation, it's a very clear, explicit first step to biblical healthy relationship, and yet it's so hard to do, isn't it? And we avoid this at all costs. I was reflecting this week just considering, why is this so hard for me? To literally just go to somebody and say, hey, you know what, you said this, or you did this, or, you know, some, some situation that I was a part of, that offended me, that hurt me. And so I want to just let, let you know that, bring that to your attention. Or, or you, you find, uh, you discover a sin. Someone has done something to wrong you and you say, hey, look, this is an error. Instead, I'm going to share it with every other person before I come bring it to that person's face. And I was trying to evaluate, man, why is that so hard? And I think the first thing that makes it hard for me is anger. So often when we're hurt, um, when, when an injustice has been done against us, we're angry, we're frustrated, we're mad about it, right? And you, you kind of have this posture of arrogant pride, like, well, I'll, sure, I'll go talk to him about it, but 
I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go talk in some kind of gentle confrontation. No, I'm gonna go tell them where they can go, right? We're frustrated and mad at that person and so it's directed that way and we realize that that's not always the best way to handle things and so you neglect even going to the person because you would be going in anger. That's the first thing I think that keeps us from having these conversations. Secondly, I think hurt keeps us from these conversations or maybe pain that keeps us from initially approaching the other person who's hurt us. We're not eager to subject ourselves to continued painful words or a reaction that we think that person might have. These conversations we know from experience don't often end well. And so Jesus is saying, go one-on-one to the person and And I think some of us are looking too far into the future too quickly and saying, no, no, I know how that goes. I've been there. I've addressed this. So my my encouragement here is, yes, there is hurt that prevents us from this first step. But be careful not to write the story in your mind of how that conversation goes before attempting to have the conversation. And Jesus does make, he does make accommodation for that conversation not going well, and we'll get there in a minute. But be careful not to tell yourself the story of how this is going to go before even attempting to have the conversation. And, and thirdly, I think the reason why this first step is so hard is because we're motivated by fear. I think the number one reason we don't have biblical healthy relationships is because of fear. Fear is one of Satan's most dangerous and powerful weapons against us having healthy relationships. Because if he can keep us in fear, he can keep us in opposition toward another. He can isolate us if we're living in fear. My fear leads me to believe that this will only make matters worse. I fear the outcome of having this conversation. Or my fear is that the person might actually hear me. They might actually apologize or repent. And then I'll have to stop being angry. I don't want to do that. I'm not ready for that. And so with fear, I withhold from the conversation. Maybe a more common um, example of fear would simply be believing that if I tell this person the truth, that they may not understand and I might damage the relationship. If I share an offense, if I go to another and and say, you know, that was hard for me or hurt me, that it may be misperceived or I might be viewed as, as needy or dramatic or not understanding the circumstance and that might actually isolate me from that person. And so in fear, I withhold the conversation, believing that it's better if I simply overlook it then move towards a healthy, honest, transparent conversation. Constantly avoiding conflict and hard conversations to keep peace in a relationship is not a healthy relationship. It's it's not healthy just to continue to power through. And that's, that's exactly what Jesus is trying to help us avoid. Go talk to the person. And I know this because I've lived it. My name is Jeffrey, which means the peacemaker. 
and I've lived for years this story of striving to keep peace with others at the cost of confrontation because I don't want to upset the boat, right? And as I've grown and, and continue to allow for God to transform my way of thinking, I've realized that, that peace ought not compromise truth, that the truth needs to be shared, that the truth needs to be at the forefront. And that's only driven by a spirit of fear. And in First Tim or Second Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We ought not operate in our relationships by a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Joseph Granny wrote this book called Crucial Conversations. It's a pretty popular book. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, he talks about some of these critical moments in relationships where we have to address things. He says, the mistake that most of us make in our crucial conversations is we believe that we have to choose between telling the truth and keeping a friend. That we're worried by telling the truth, I might compromise the friendship. And that is no way to have a friendship or healthy relationship. And so Jesus here outlines best case scenario. If he hears you, if this relationship, this conversation finds favor, you've earned a friend. You've won a brother, he says. That's best case scenario. Let's start there and at least attempt this conversation, hoping for the best. But there is provision here if he doesn't listen. And so we go to verse 16. If he doesn't listen, Jesus writes, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So first we have this one-on-one -on -one conversation, then we have a two-on-one conversation. Bring a friend with you. And let me clarify this second step. After having done the first step, you can't skip the first step, to notice that this is not an intervention. This is not all of this person's friends or all of their family. It's not bringing the entire community into this conversation. This is simply a second step, two-on-one conversation where you approach the person with a trusted, mutual, and objective friend who can help that conversation go better. And honestly, I've rarely seen this done well. But I, th I think it's incredibly important, as does Jesus. But I think either you people skip the first step entirely and go straight to the second, or they skip the second and go straight to the third to take this person to the court of public opinion. But in the times that I've had the privilege of witnessing this conversation go well and seeing a biblical, healthy conversation unfold between two people with the first appropriate step intact, it's a beautiful thing. And honestly, I can tell you one of the most fruitful things that, that I've had the privilege of witnessing, we're, because of our role maybe in the church, my role as a pastor, or maybe your role as an employer or a parent, sometimes you've been that second party, right? The third party of the conversation. You've been the second person brought to, to address the friend, and, and I can't imagine something more healing and fruitful than when a wife has brought her husband 
or a parent has brought their child or an employee has brought their boss asking for a third and neutral party to join them in this process and allowing for fruitful conversation to ensue because there's a party present, the goal becomes being heard, right? That's, that's the only goal. And Jesus understands that. The, the goal is that if he didn't listen to you, maybe he'll listen to someone else. But the goal isn't, isn't speaking. The goal is listening. And that's what's so beautiful about these conversations is so often these conversations um, with a third party present allow for both people to listen well. That each person, the offender and the offended, can both be heard. And when that happens, a lot of times it may be that the accuser isn't entirely right, but they're heard. It might be that the accused isn't entirely wrong, and they're heard. And in the process, those truths become unfolded, and you start to realize maybe we're not on as far off playing fields as we thought. Maybe we're closer than we realized. So I urge you to try this. If you've, if you've taken a biblical approach to managing conflict, to having healthy relationships, and you've confronted sin or offense or injustice or pain in conversation through your relationships and hit a wall in a one-on-one confrontation, my encouragement is, as Jesus encourages, is to go bring a friend and try the conversation again with a third-party present. That's an important step. And then even still, Jesus makes accommodation for this step also not working out. He understands the human condition all too well, apparently. Finally, he says in verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And this is bringing spiritual leadership into the conversation. So first, a one-on-one conversation, then a two-on-one conversation, then bringing it to the church, inviting spiritual leadership to participate now in the conversation. And clearly, this is a last resort. Once the other um, steps have been attempted, when there's been an offense, a misstep, a discovery of sin, when you've addressed it one-on-one, attempted to bring another, and neither of those steps have proven faithful than Jesus or fruitful, then Jesus says, you are then to bring it to the church. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus would use the word church here because it's only the second time he references the church or uses the word church even in in all the gospels. He says the word church to Peter when he says, on this rock, this Petra, I'll build my church. We looked at that a few weeks ago. And now second reference and only other reference in the gospels, he says, bring it to the church. He's inferring that there will be some collection, gathering of believers in some future setting where there will be a leadership structure that's capable and able to process through difficulty in relationships, which requires that this gathering of believers, the ecclesia of believers, now have a process, a due process within the church to resolve conflict and provide some kind of resolution in a scenario like this. And so when Jesus says, tell it to the church, he's not saying go onto some open mic thing or some public forum and just vent your your issue in, in some public you know, court of opinion. No, he's saying, 
take it to the church, the due process that's in place within the institutional structure of church leadership so that they can help you. Namely, bring it to the elders of the church, the leaders of the church to help you process through someone who is unrepentant in their offense. So churches often think through what this might look like and create a plan. How are we going to play this out? And I have to admit, I've been a part of this church's leadership at Atascadero Bible Church now for 12 years. We haven't always gotten it right. But we're called to try. And we're called here by Matthew 18 to do it as biblically as possible. Because the fruit of this process is to be that the collection of elders, the leaders of the church, once the other steps have been intact, would be to draw this person to repentance, to healing, to forgiveness, and maybe even to reconciliation. But if they refuse, if it doesn't produce the fruit of repentance, then Jesus gives more clear instruction. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, this is where the really complicated and misunderstood idea of church discipline is presented. Let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. What Jesus is saying is this this person then, as an unrepentant sinner, an unbroken, if you want to call it that, unwilling sinner, is now not to be seen as a member of the believing community of God. Why? Because the believing community of God is a community of sinners who have been broken in their sin, who've acknowledged their sin, and who have been willing to receive the correction through forgiveness and healing through Jesus Christ. I want you to understand this. Pay close attention. It's so important that we understand the heart and intention of what Jesus is doing here. This is not an excommunication passage where we say we're casting people out of the church because of some sort of sin issue. No, that this is the, the goal of this passage is repentance. Everything's pointing to that. But first remember humility, that we back up into Matthew chapter 18 and we start with Jesus saying, unless any of you becomes like a child, you can't be my disciple. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Become like a child. Have humble posture. Remember that you are not better than any other sinner, that you are not somehow above and over all of these other people who have not been redeemed and set free. There is a clear lens of humility that we ought to view every single one of these steps through. And second, remember the goal is repentance. The goal of step one, one-on-one. -on -one. We hope that that would produce repentance, that someone say, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I am wrong. I'm sorry. I'm going to change and not do that again. The goal of step two, two-on-one, repentance. I can see the error of my ways. I can see the offense. I can see the hurt or the harm I've caused. I'm going to turn and repent, change from that behavior, then bringing it to the church, bringing it to church leadership to, to have the pressure of spiritual protection and covering from the leadership of the church is again to bring about repentance, not shame, not public um, sort of um, shaming of someone's sin or airing out their 
their issues? No, it's repentance. And finally, the verdict of Jesus is after those steps have been made to treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector. Let me just remind you and ask you, what, how does Jesus treat a Gentile and a tax collector? With love and compassion. He reaches out for those that are broken, that are lost in their sin. Treat them like a Gentile and a tax collector means love those people. And maybe by your love, you'll show them the error of their ways and there will be a moment where there's authentic and genuine repentance. But there is a difference and I I, want to make this clear between a repentant and a broken sinner and an unrepentant, stubborn offender. And that's why we get down to this point in the passage because there is a clear instruction from Jesus to say this person is not part of the family of God if they are unrepentant after these three steps. It does not mean you don't love them but you do treat them different than someone who has been brought into the family and fold of God. The broken sinner, the repentant sinner, is a lost sheep, according to biblical terms. The one who refuses to repent after offending and wounding others is now known as a wolf. And there is a difference between a lost sheep and a wolf. Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter 7, he says, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. Those who dress up, they come to church and they, they do all the right things and they say all the right things, but they continue to damage and to wound or even divide relationships within the church and they are without remorse and they are unrepentant. It's, it's not that I, I don't love the tax collector. When he says, now treat them like a tax collector, it's not that I don't love that person, Because every single human being is created in the image of God. And so I love everyone as a created, a mago day, image of God creation. But if he keeps walking in to the back door of the church to exploit, abuse, and take advantage of our people, then eventually I'm going to stop that person from entering the building. Do you see the difference? There's a call for church leadership for Christians to set appropriate, healthy boundaries when there is a lack of repentance. It is not being unkind. It is not being unloving. It is following a biblical prescription for healthy relationships to bear the fruit of repentance. Finally, the most comforting and critical tool to pursuing biblical healthy relationships is found in verse 19. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is the promise of spiritual covering. 
And thank God and his word for this. Because these are difficult, challenging conversations that are wrought with landmines. And so, Lord, help us by the work of your spirit to navigate the difficulty of these conversations. Now, a word about context here is this verse, this particularly the last verse, if two or three are gathered or whenever two or more agree and they ask the, our Father in heaven, then it will be granted. To, this is one of those cherry-picked verses that's pulled out of context where we say, see, if two, two or more agree, then it'll be granted. And if two are there, then, and then the Holy Spirit is there regardless of what they're doing or what they're saying. No, Jesus is specifically making this promise to those who are pursuing biblical, healthy relationships by having the appropriate conversations at the appropriate times, having one-on-one, then two-on-one, then church-related conversations. He's saying in that context, when you're pursuing that kind of health in those relationships and you're and you're taking the appropriate steps that is when the spirit will be there that is when when two of you agree on something the holy spirit of god will grant that with blessing for you see it's specifically in this context that we ask in his name that we seek the wisdom and the leadership and the counsel of the holy spirit knowing that these are difficult conversations and we need spiritual leadership so yes god will do anything that is asked as it relates to pursuing biblical healthy conversations when following the prescription of matthew chapter 18 verse 15 through 19 as we process through these difficult and challenging moments, we understand the biblical process is hard work. It's why we've rewritten the passage, right? And and I know tongue-in-cheek, I read that whole introduction about how our culture pursues relationships, that we do everything but go to the source, right? That we, we continue to share with others. We vent, we we rally other people, we post things, we public shame people. We do everything but address the person because that's the hardest thing to do. So we've rewritten this because it's easier to do almost anything other than have biblical conversations following appropriate order and timing. Doing the right thing is hard. And in fact, doing the right thing doesn't insulate us from pain. Sometimes it's even more painful to do the right thing in the short term. But I promise you that the dynamics are always harder, more complex, layered with more pain when they're taken out of order. And so I think it's important as we walk through this, again with the lens of humility, that we admit when we've misstepped the process and even going back to people and saying, you know what, I, I, I spoke out of turn I should have gone straight to that person. I went to you first, and I'm sorry for that. I want to go correct that. I'm going to go talk to them about it. That we admit when we've mistaken this process, when we've committed some missteps and ask for forgiveness, and knowing that doing the right thing, even in that, isn't always going to bring healing and reconciliation to relationships because that's not always up to us. It's up to us to do the right thing and to follow the path that God has laid out for us, but It's really up to how the other person responds, which is why he gives 
some accommodation for that because he realizes, Jesus realizes that if people who are stuck in their sin are unrepentant, there will be very little opportunity for reconciliation to happen between a believer and an unbeliever in that moment. Biblical healthy relationships are only possible if they're wrapped in humility. We know the goal is mutual repentance and healing and restoration. And we know that there's a commitment a call to love regardless of the outcome. See, even at the worst case scenario, this person never comes to terms with their own error or fault. Jesus says, teach, treat them as a tax collector and sinner, which simply means continue to love them. Maybe with healthy boundary, but continue to love. My hope is that we could step back from a difficult passage like this and think about objectively some of the steps that might need to be had in the current conflict and difficulty in some of your relationships. See, some of these, these things play out in different levels, right? Sometimes they're very quick and easy, and it's as it's simple as uh, something you said on the way out the door this morning that was offensive, and you know it. Or someone that hurt you yesterday. It's, it's as easy as just saying, hey, you know what, that was hard for me. Some of them are far more difficult where there are weeks, months, if not years of painful conversation and relationship that have built up that have not been addressed. That maybe the biblical order hasn't been followed where you address it one-on-one and then two-on-one and then, and then involve the church. I'm asking you to consider as painful as it might be as much hard work as it would require that you pursue biblical, healthy relationships in accordance with the order that's laid out here for us in Matthew chapter 18. Let me pray. Father, we need the Spirit to direct. We need the covering and protection of the Holy Spirit over these conversations. And I recognize as I bring these some of these very Um, ambiguous scenarios up this morning that it represents some very unambiguous reality for people who are listening, that there is a very specific scenario, conversation, or relationship that comes to mind for those that are listening when I share this. I ask, Lord, for your favor in that specific scenario for those that have those things coming to mind right now, that you would provide spiritual direction, that you would protect hearts, that you would heal wounds, that you would insulate from criticism, and that you would allow for healthy, healing conversations to take place throughout our church body. And that, Lord, we would know with wisdom what to do when we get to that third step, and we're faced with someone who's stubbornly unrepentant in their sin. God, may we fulfill the biblical call to be the church for those people, to continue encouraging them towards ultimate healing through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we know comes through repentance. And we pray all these things 
in the name of Jesus, and we're thankful for the words of Jesus this morning. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you are home today, um, catching up on the, the sermons, um, or maybe you're traveling, maybe you've got sick family members, I will hope you'll join us back on campus real soon. Um, we'll be back next Sunday at 8, 9, and 1045, and we hope to see you then. Thanks.